let's praise him hallelujah jesus we praise you god we magnify you hallelujah you alone are worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor oh god hallelujah we lift our voices our hands and our hearts to him tonight jesus we praise you jesus we magnify you yes god he Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We serve a God who is worthy to be praised. Amen. His name is Jesus. Thank you. Let's turn to uh, Joshua chapter 1. We're going to get right into the word tonight. Uh, Brother Daniel, can I get a little more monitor up there? I got a little bit of a cold. I do apologize. Joshua chapter 1. It's good to have all of our guests with us tonight. Good to have our visitors I believe you're, you're here by divine appointment. I don't believe there's accidents or coincidences with God, but God has something special for you tonight. Amen. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them and to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. That have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. We are going to continue talking a little bit about the book of Joshua and the children of Israel. As they crossed the Jordan, they were commanded uh, to go and to possess the land. That everywhere they took a step, everywhere they, their foot treaded, that uh, God was going to fight the battles for them. That God was going to be with them. And we have talked about this the last several weeks, that this was a land that the children of Israel had never possessed before. And we understand that they had been in Egypt for 400 and some years, and then they spent 40 years wandering through the wilderness. So for close to 500 years, they lived a kind of a nomadic way of life. They had a, a slavery complex, and now God was putting them in a land that was going to be theirs. This was their inheritance, and God wanted them to possess that land. And we've talked about how this is, this is where we're at today, each and every single one of us, that God has something new for us, that he has a promise for us, that he has a deeper level in him, and he wants us to take that step forward and to possess it. Amen? And that's the great thing about the kingdom of God is that no matter where we're at, um, how long we've been living for God, if this is your very first time here, if you've been here for four years, God has something more for you. Amen. And I, I love reading through this book, and, and we can learn some lessons along the way, how they fought these battles. We, we talked about Jericho. We talked about Ai. We talked about the sin of Achan. Um, we talked about the, the altars that they built in the, um, before, um, in, the, in the River Jordan and after. But God told the children of Israel to drive out all the enemies. And there's that whole list of, of uh, pagan nations that had, were, were in the land that they were to possess. We had the, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Edomites, the, and the list goes on, the Gerzites, the Gibeonites, the Girgashites, the Gerzites, the Hittites, Hivites, Horites, Jebusites, Kenites, Moabites, and Perizzites. There was a lot of them. There was a lot of battles to fight. Okay, and we're we're living in a world today where there's some battles to fight. 
It seems like every day I wake up, there's just, there's another battle to fight. And I'm okay with that because I got God on my side. And he said, if you will just fight, I will take care of it for you. And that's what he told the children of Israel. If you will just fight, if you will just go forward, I will help you possess the land that I have given you. He said, if you will shake the devil loose, he says, I will fight for you. Amen. And that's where we're at today. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, another uh, lesson here in the book of Joshua as we, as we get to this, just to build a little background. Um, we have to understand that there was an event that took place um, that was made by a, a concession, if you will, made by Moses um, for the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So we've got Gad, Reuben, and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um, these particular tribes were attracted to the land that was just east of the Jordan River. Um, that land um, was good for their livestock. And these particular tribes had a lot of livestock, the Bible says. And they asked Moses, they're like, would you mind if we just stayed here? Because this land east of the Jordan, which wasn't the promised land, it is good for our living. It is good for us to make a living. Um, and it was, but it wasn't good for their inheritance. And we can, and we're going to get into this a little bit. And we're, and really, what these tribes represent is, is sometimes us when we get on, when we become borderline believers, when we get on the fringes of the promise, if you will, and we get, we get in close prox, proximity, prox. How do I say that? In proximity? There it is. Proximity. When we get in close proximity of the promise, but we're willing to stay on the outskirts of it, and we don't want to actually get into the promised land. And, and this may have seemed good for that time. It may, have, it may have seemed good for that particular moment because of the livestock that they had, but, and it seemed that this was their comfort zone, and, and they did not, this is where they, they felt they belonged. But we read that this was a huge mistake. And we turn to Numbers uh, chapter 32. Numbers 32 and verse 5. And this whole chapter is really about this situation. But it says, Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight. And so these, uh, these tribes, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are talking to Moses. And they're like, Wherefore said they, if we find found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. So this is where they asked Moses. They said, listen, if it's okay with you, we'll just stay here because this land seems very suitable for how we make a living. And if you read the rest of this chapter, Moses issues a pretty serious warning um, to these tribes 
um, upon this request. And he, he talked about the 12 spies that, uh, that went over, um, you know, 40-some years before this, and they went over and they, they spied out the land and they came back. And there was 10 of those spies who did not want to possess that land. And he, he issued a warning to these guys, listen, I don't like this. What, he's like, it's just like those 10 spies who didn't want to possess the land. It, it, it put fear in the rest of Israel. And he issued a warning, as any good shepherd would. And, but we read the story, and Moses did agree to it. But he gave them a warning. And I was just thinking today, you know, as... as being in the role of, of a pastor, sometimes it's just hard to just tell people what to do. Like you, you don't want to just tell them what you don't want to come across and try to be their boss. So I'm just going to say this, that if I ever just, you know, rec- you know give you my thought on something, um, I'm really, I'm just, that's what I want you to do. If I, if I ever say, hey, this is what I think you should do, you know, this is, this is my thought, that's actually what I would like for you to do. And there, there, so we can issue a warning. I can't tell you what to do. I don't, I don't want to command anything. And that's what Moses did. He issued a warning. He said, do you, don't you remember what happened when the, the ten spies came back with that evil report and didn't want to possess the land? We ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after that because of that. And uh, so Moses issued a warning. And we read in Joshua 14, it says, By lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. That there was only nine and a half tribes that inherited the promised land. That was not the original plan of God. God wanted all 12 of those tribes to inherit that land. And their agreement with with Moses was, we will live here, but we will help you fight. Because Moses is like, you're just going to let the rest of the tribes fight this battle while you sit here? And they did agree. They're like, listen, if you will allow us to live here, we will go and fight um, with the other tribes. And we read that uh, at any convenience or any, any open door they had to go back, they went back to um, the east of the Jordan River. At, at any opportunity, they went back. And this to me seems upside down. This seems backwards. That God would have a land and a promise and an inheritance and they would fight for it but they still didn't want to live there. They wanted to live on the eastern side of the Jordan. And we read in Joshua 22 and 10, it says, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, so this was after they, the fighting was done and they had possessed the land. It says, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. And when you read this story, this, 
these tribes building this altar really caused a huge deal with, with, the, with the children of Israel and the leaders of the tribes. They, they, uh, they questioned, you know, what in the world are you doing building this altar? They, they, uh, they, they, they had a meeting, um, and they, they questioned this altar that they had built. But these tribes defended their motives and claimed that their altar was an innocent symbol because the Levitical law said there was only one place um, to sacrifice. And that was at the altar of God at the tabernacle. And they had built another altar that looked like that. But they claimed that this wasn't what it was for. That It was an innocent symbol. And we read in Joshua 22 and 28, it says, Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us, or to our generation in time to come, that we may say again, Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings and not for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. These tribes built this altar because they, wanted, they didn't want to be forgotten outside of the promised land. And, um, and it wasn't an altar that was for sacrifice. It was just like an altar. Um, it represents, our, they said that it represents our covenant with you, um, not necessarily our covenant with God. And they said, don't worry about us. We're just going to head back east. We built this altar. This represents our covenant with you guys. Don't forget about us over here. We're just going to head back over here. Don't worry about us. You know, we're going to show up every now and then um, to worship and when the time, you know, we're just going to live over here, don't worry about us, and we'll, we'll show up every now and then. And they, they really made a decision that they were content to live farther away from the tabernacle where the real altar was and closer to the enemy. The altar that they built um, was near the promised land. And it was a great altar to see, but it was just a part-time altar. So we ask, was this altar really an altar to God? And the, question, the answer is no. It was an altar that was built for convenience. It was an altar built to the best of both worlds. And these tribes were really willing to settle for less. They were, they, were, they were willing to settle to live just on the fringe of the promise. Because in their minds, they were getting the best of both worlds. And this is really, in my opinion, this is the anthem of, if I dare say, American Christianity. That um, we want the best of both worlds. We, we want to feel the presence of God. We believe in God. We believe the word of God is, is the Bible. But we don't want to believe it enough to change. And 
I began to think about this. I, uh, um, I, I heard a story yesterday, and, and uh, he, this, this gentleman I was talking to was having a conversation with uh, a group of people, and they were talking about, they were talking about us, you know, those crazy apostolics. And, and uh, they, they made this comment that, you know, and they were talking about a, a particular family that came into church, and, and they said, you know, yeah, they found religion, and they just changed. <laughs> they found God, and they quit doing this, and they didn't come here anymore. They didn't do that. And they were talking about it like it was a bad thing. And my friend said, isn't that what is supposed to happen? <laughs> like when you find God that you change? He's like, he's like, isn't this like Saul to Paul? Isn't that what like is supposed to happen? Isn't, he's like, isn't that the gospel? And the guys kind of looked at him and they didn't really know what to say. But that's what's supposed to happen. And I preached that Sunday. Like there's supposed to be a separation. You know, the guy, if we want to multiply in God, he, we first have to be divided. God divides some things out. And um, the spirit of our world has pushed this idea that we can have best of both worlds, that we can live on the fringes of the promise and have everything good, you know, with our living and our life, and we can be comfort, comfortable, right? But then every now and then we can just hop over the Jordan and, and worship with the rest of them. And that is really what the spirit of the world is preaching every single day. And if you look at the Bible as a whole, God has always divided. He's always separated. He always had a chosen people. Amen? The choice of the two and a half tribes may have been good for the cattle, but it was disastrous for their children because they lived just outside the promised land. These tribes became a buffer zone, if you will, between Israel and the heathen nations around them. And of course, that location, it made them extremely vulnerable to uh, military attack and to ungodly influence. And both of these things, both of these liabilities, if you will, eventually brought about their complete downfall. They fell into idolatry, and they were eventually captured by Assyria. They ended up not only losing their promise, but they ended up losing all their possessions as well. So in an effort to try have the best of both worlds, the Bible proves out that you will end up losing everything. And we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pelneser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and brought them unto Halah and Habor and Harah into the river Gazan unto this day. 
Church, God wants us to live in the promise. He doesn't want us to be borderline believers. He doesn't want us to be on the fringe Christians. Okay, we cannot live with this mindset that we can have the best of both worlds. And I'm here to challenge some people tonight that we just got to jump in. Just give it all. Just, just submit to the word of God. Just let it go. Whatever you're holding on to, just let it go and just let God do what he wants to do. Just step over the river and understand that's where you belong and let him fight those battles for you. Amen? Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. This, was a, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. And I read it yesterday, and it did hit me just a little differently. And uh, I'm just going to kind of continue on this same vein Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And keep in mind that this is, this is red letter, this is Jesus talking, and in the context of it, he's talking about false prophets. And in verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Every time I read that verse, I feel like there's just a spirit, like just a, a fear of God that comes over me. I'm like, you know, we, we read this, we can read this verse and we can pick out a few different things and there's maybe a few different uh, perspectives of it, but I feel like my, I have a, a different understanding of this verse. Um, and, and we read this and, it, and it, uh, it really hit me that we need to know God. We really, and not only do we need to know God, but we need to be known by God. We, and I, and I, I read this and I'm like, God, I want to know you more. <laughs> I want to know you in a deeper way, a deeper level. And I don't want to seek, I'm thankful for the blessings and the benefits of living for God. I really feel that my cup runs over. Amen. And I believe that this Pentecostal experience is not a, a punishment, but it is a privilege. I believe that there is, we are the head and not the tail. Amen. I really believe that there is great benefits of living for God. And I, I appreciate them and I'm thankful for them. But I, I don't want to seek the blessings and the benefits of God and leave out my relationship with him. And I don't want to seek miracles and signs and wonders and neglect my actual walk with God. And I want to see miracles. 
And I, I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see, and I, we've seen it. We've seen the sick healed. We've seen miraculous things. And I want to continue to see that. Don't get me wrong at all. But I don't want to seek those things over knowing God. In this particular scripture, these people that Jesus is talking about, they prophesied in the name of Jesus. They cast out devils in the, in the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't deny that they did that. And they thought they, they were doing many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Depart from me. Them are strong words. Above all else, I want to know God. And I want to be known by him. I want to have a deep relationship with him. I, I, do, I want to see the signs. Okay, I, I read Matthew 16, and I get excited. That he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. I, I, I believe in divine protection and provision. It says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I want to see these signs. But I'm not going to seek them. You get where I'm coming from, church? I want to see them. I believe they're going to happen. But I'm not running after. I'm not seeking the signs and the wonders and the miracles. I want to seek to do the will of my Father. I want to seek, Jesus said, if you love me, I want to love God. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what I'm seeking. I'm seeking a relationship with God. I'm seeking to be in alignment with God. And we really, you know, we got to kind of change our thinking on this a little bit. You know, we look at signs as where to go. Where to turn, how fast to drive. That's, when we're, we, we look at signs as direction. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, follow me. He said, I'm the one that's going to give you direction, not the signs. He said, follow me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know where to go. Follow me. I'll give you direction. Through, through the Holy Ghost, I'll lead and guide you. Casting out a demon or a miraculous sign is not going to direct you. God wants to direct you. And again, 
I want to see demons cast out. I believe that. I want to see the miraculous. But I first want to seek God. We've got to know him. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. And he wasn't talking about signs. He was talking about himself. He says, knock and it shall be opened. He was talking about himself. He was talking about a relationship with him. He says, if you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're thirsty, I'll give you to drink. He said, sup with me, dine with me, come in. He said, seek me first. Not signs and wonders and blessings and benefits. Can I get an amen? You guys still with me? Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. I'm pretty convinced that if we'll just seek God, he'll take care of it. Sometimes we find ourselves disgruntled. We find ourselves not knowing what to do next, if you will. Um, We find ourselves maybe frustrated. You feel stuck. And God is saying, if you will just seek me, I'll show you the way. I've already paved a way for you. If you'll just follow me, I'll show you how to get through this. Luke 11, in just a little context here, the, the disciples asked Jesus about prayer. They asked him, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And, uh, and this is really the key, of course, to knowing him and to relationship. And I begin to think about this a little bit. I'm, I'm sure glad the disciples didn't ask about how to do some great miraculous work. They just, they asked Jesus how to pray. I'm like, wow, that is, because there was times where the disciples were, you know, they were, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, they were, they were worried about being first in the kingdom of God and doing great and mighty things. But at this particular moment, the disciples were very sincere. And they said, Jesus, would you, would you teach us how to pray? And, of course, Jesus went through what we, what we call the Lord's Prayer, gave them an outline on how to pray. And we get to Luke 11 and verse 5. And he, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall, say, shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. We understand that... Um, at this particular time in their homes, they, it was probably a one-roomed one home, and they all slept in the same room, and, and to get up, he would awaken the whole family at midnight. Have you ever had a knock at your door in the middle of night? And it woke the whole family up. We read in verse 8, it says, I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, he says, though, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And this is just such an interesting scripture to me. The neighbor didn't answer because of the relationship, but he answered because of this man's importunity. And that word in the Bible, that Greek word for importunity, it's the only time in the Bible that it's used. And it simply means shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Jesus said, that is why the man answered the door. Because of your shameless persistence in knocking. That's why he got up. That's why he was willing to wake up the whole family. That's why he was willing to be, if you will, inconvenienced, do this at a time that it wouldn't normally be done because of your shameless persistence. And sometimes we need, when we need something from God, we have to get desperate. And sometimes getting desperate means doing some things you wouldn't normally do. You wouldn't normally pray at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., would you? You wouldn't normally go knock on a door at midnight. But because of his shameless persistence, the door was answered. And just a little tap on the door um, sometimes isn't enough to get the attention of the home dweller. But when you begin banging on the door at midnight, persistently, you're not stopping, it's going to get attention. This man had no shame, and he was persistent in knocking at the door. Keep in mind, the disciples just asked Jesus how to pray. And this is part of Jesus' answer on how to pray. And he said, you need to come before me with shameless persistence. This man understood that he had, he had guests that came unexpectedly, it seemed like. He didn't have any bread to give them. He understood that he could not sustain himself. You know, he could have spent another day scrounging on the floor for crumbs for, the, for his guests. He could have, he could have uh, tried to make up something else, but he understood that he didn't have anything to feed his guests. He, he, he had no options. But he understood that the house next door had bread in it. He understood that he had a need, and he understood who could help. And that's how Jesus told the disciple, this is how you need to pray. You need to understand who has the answers. <laughs> and Jesus, it's me. I have the answers for you. But, but there's times where I, I need you to, to know that you have need. And sometimes our indication to God that we know that we have need is desperation. And it is shameless persistence. Amen. This guy understood that he could not sustain himself. But he understood that the house next door had the answers to his issues. He went over there. 
and he thought he just needed three loaves. But he was given as much as he had need of. I'm here to tell you that God knows what you have need of. But we have to ask, we have to seek, and we have to knock. Psalms 37, David said, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And understand that our shameless persistence in prayer it doesn't change God. God isn't reluctant, and he doesn't need to be persuaded. But shameless persistence in prayer changes us. And we, when we get to that point, we came to the understanding that we cannot do this ourselves, but we need him. That's how Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. Church, I want to know him. I want to know him more. And if I got to start doing some things that I've never done before, praying longer than I've ever prayed before, being more uncomfortable and praying maybe in a way that I've never prayed before. That's what I want to do because I know that he has the answers to what I need. And I, I don't have enough bread. I can't, I can't put enough bread in my house to sustain me. But I understand that he's the bread of life. And he has what I need to be sustained. So I'm going to knock until he opens. Amen. Let's turn to one more scripture. Acts chapter 1. Very familiar portion of scripture. The Bible says, uh, Luke wrote, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. We get excited about this verse because we're thankful for the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're thankful for the power to be free from sin, to be led and guided by God. But it's interesting. I, I read this scripture today with just a different, a different perspective. And it says that you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And there's a colon. And it says, and basically meaning the power we get from God is going to help us be a witness of Jesus. Okay? So without the Holy Ghost, we cannot be a witness of Jesus. Okay? So through the, the power of the Holy Ghost, we can be a witness 
of Jesus. And I, I just looked up the word witness and what it, what it meant. And it's an old English term meaning knowledge or understanding. It said, one's wit is their perception and expression of something. So one's wit is their perception and expression of something. So witness means to have wit about something or to have a knowledge and an understanding of something. So to be a witness of Jesus Christ, you have to have a knowledge and understanding of him. You have to know him to properly be a witness and preach this gospel. In order to testify in a court of law as a witness, you first have to have a knowledge and understanding, right, of the particular thing you are going to witness of. Okay, maybe you were... Um, you seen the situation happen and you watched it, okay? Maybe you heard the screams. Maybe you seen it all happen. Maybe you, you, you heard what so-and-so said and of a particular situation that's being brought to court and they bring you in as a witness to testify because you have a knowledge and understanding of the situation. So in order to be a witness... You have to know. In order to be a witness of Jesus, you have to know Jesus. Amen? This is, this is simple. Simple. And Luke said that after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, amen, you now have that access and the, 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 the word power in this verse is dynamis, and it, it means strength, power, and ability. And Luke said, now that you have the Holy Ghost, you have the power and ability and the access to be a witness. And these disciples, they remembered. They remembered Jesus talking about how about the spirit of truth in, in John 14 and and whom they knew dwelt with them. And Jesus says, but I'm going to be, I'm not only just going to, I'm going to dwell with you right now, but I'm going to, there's going to come a time where I'm going to be in you. Okay? They remembered that. They remembered Jesus talking about how he wouldn't leave them comfortless, but that he was going to come to them. They remembered in Luke 24 about the promise of the Father waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. They remember that. So my whole point in all this is if you want to know Jesus, okay, if you want to be a witness of him, you have to know him. And in order to know him, you've got to get connected to the Holy Ghost. Okay, you've got to get full of the Holy Ghost, okay? And that, that's, a, that's really, this is so simple tonight, but if I want, to, I want to be 
desperate for an outpouring of God. I want to be, if there's going to be something happening, God's going to pour out his spirit. I want to be right in the middle. I don't want to be on the outskirts of the promises. I'm not going to settle for the best of both worlds. But I want to be in complete submission to the word of God. Holding nothing back. And if, I, if, there's, if today I can draw closer to God, if there's an opportunity for me today to know Jesus more, that's my first priority. That is number one. I'm not seeking signs. I'm not seeking miracles. I believe they're going to happen. But I'm seeking Jesus. Amen. He is the one that leads and guides us. He said, follow me. I will lead and guide you. I want to know him. And how we get to know him is through the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm not seeking signs. I'm seeking Jesus. Amen. This is so simple tonight. But I just, I want us to, you know, and, you know, again, we get excited about the things that God does. And let's shout. Let's shout all day long when someone gets healed. But let's wake up in the morning and seek Jesus. Okay? Well, I'll dance with you when you get the Holy Ghost. I'll rejoice with you when you begin to speak with other tongues for the very first time. Okay? And if there's a demon cast out, and there, that's happened before in this church, you want to know what? I'm going to rejoice. But you want to know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm seeking Jesus. I'm seeking a closer walk with him. I want to have a better understanding. I want my, my heart to, to be in alignment with his heart. I want his heartbeat to be my heartbeat. I want his will to come to pass in my life. That needs to be number one in every single one of our lives today, to know Jesus more. If you're here today and you need a miracle, if you need a financial miracle, if you need a miracle in your body, if you need a healing, if you need a miracle in your family, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Long for him, not just what he can do for you. Not just his power, not just his hand that heals, but seek a relationship with Jesus. And all these things that we get worried about and these situations that we feel like we're, we're caught in the thick of, he'll take care of it. Let's stand tonight. I know this was simple, but I, and I, you want to know what, if the musicians could come, I just, I feel in the Holy Ghost, and I felt it this way all day long today, that I know there's some people in this room that need a miracle. You need something from God, and, and I believe he's going to do it. I'm going I'm to believe with you. But let's get our eyes off the fix, okay? And let's get, us, get our eyes on the one who can fix it. And we're going to open these altars tonight, and I just, I pray that we would understand that before anything else, 
we've just got to know Jesus more. That needs to be our number one priority. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I pray, Lord, over this congregation tonight. God, over every family, over every man, woman, and child. Hallelujah. God, that we would seek you. God, that we would seek seek a deeper, deeper walk with you, a deeper relationship, oh God. In the name of Jesus, I want to know you more, God. God, I want my heart to be in alignment with you. In the name of Jesus, these altars are open tonight. Please come and pray. Lord, would you seek him tonight? Just seek Jesus. He's the one that will lead you and guide you. He's the one that will show you the way. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, in the name of Jesus, can we cry unto him tonight? Can we pray to him tonight? Can we ask him for a deeper walk, a deeper relationship? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, I'm here to tell you tonight, your answer is Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a made-up mind that you're going to follow him no matter the cost, no matter the situation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.